Welcome to the Nuggets Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schubert, and we've got a special show for you today. Sam Amick joins Mike Singer and I to talk about the Nuggets and get a national perspective on what the Nuggets are doing so far this season. We uh, dig into a ton of topics, trade deadline, Nikola Jokic MVP, Aaron Gordon All-Star, all that and more coming up next. Welcome to a special edition of the Nuggets Inc. pod presented by the Denver Post. I am your guest host, uh, Nuggets beat writer Mike Singer. I'm joined by Sam Amick, national senior writer from The Athletic. Uh, also on the podcast is deputy uh, sports editor Matt Schubert, your typical host. But I decided to hijack this one since Sam's my guy. Uh, Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, Mr. Singer. I'm so impressed with your incredibly high-end operation as we FaceTime. <laughs> Neither one of us looks like we uh, are exactly ready for the senior ball. Um, Why do we got to tell on ourselves? Why do you got to tell on us, Sam? Nobody can this see is us, the vibe. <laughs> I don't care, man. I just want people to know that we're coming at you grungy. That's it. Uh, yeah, but we're that, good. That's I'm the name of this episode. I, I mean, that's that's... Yeah. A, that's typical. That's a typical Nuggets need, podcast. We need like Nirvana intro music. We or, have Nirvana intro music. It's yes, very close. Yes. It's very close. Yes. A and and I guess we'll give you a pass. That you haven't listened to every episode, but um, this this uh, podcast. This podcast is pretty <laughs> is pretty grungy. Is pretty we is a blue collar podcast. We yeah. speak to the people. Yeah, I, I actually I, like I hashtag I like grunge on on. Uh, our SoundCloud account. Every it's time. it's weird that the numbers are so low. Um, <laughs> um, Sam, you you saw uh, the Nuggets on a uh, on one of those travel back to backs uh, end of December. I was supposed to be there. I got caught up in the Southwest hurricane. Um, did not happen. I didn't make it. So I needed to. Uh, I needed some boots on the ground and some eyes on the ground. What what was your impression of the Nuggets when you saw them? They went one and one. They won the first one. The second one, I believe, was a 19-point collapse. Uh, a fun night to be around uh, our guy Michael Malone. What what did you think about the Nuggets when you saw them? Well, briefly, before we dive into that, I mean, you got to tell the story a little bit about how the Amick family was very uh, excited to see Mike Singer, our good friend. And it was my birthday. It was your birthday. We don't need to get into your personal choice to leave, you know, your lovely wife on your birthday. That's on you. Um, Why are we got to tell it ourselves re- again, Sam? <laughs> we were ready for the welcome wagon. Um, you know, so anyway, that was the disappointment. Uh, but in your absence, I did try to to kind of, in your honor, uh, cover that team and, and learn about that team. And they obviously had a mixed bag in those two games. Um and takeaways for me, and we'll get into the big picture stuff. But you know, Joker remains ridiculous, uh, and people have already kind of forgotten. In the first month of this season, there was like a a kind of a growing narrative that he, uh, you know, the back to back MVP wasn't being aggressive enough offensively, wasn't shooting enough. It was a little bit of a. We, like, we might have we might have said something about that. This is Matt's like pet peeve, and it is beyond annoying. Go on, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just like we're we're kind of nearing that talk show, um, you know, kind of reality of like, uh, you know, did he deserve the MVPs? Who is this guy? You know, and next thing you know, it's another historic season where you could argue that he's playing even better than the last couple of years. So Joker's absurd. Um, you know, I did like you know my style well. Try to 
you know, it's always tricky in my role because I have such respect for the beat writers like yourself who are so thorough with how they cover the teams on a day-to-day basis that it's tricky to try to glean anything new and, and bring something new to the table coverage wise. But my attempt was, you know, talking to their folks, you know, chief among them, Calvin Booth, their GM, just about like the belief was probably uh, in terms of their culture and their team was probably the biggest takeaway. I know it sounds like a, a no brainer and I wrote this, but like, you know, learning from them that just in case you wondered if the Denver Nuggets were content just winning 50 you know, games and making a little playoff noise and then maybe they get some accolades individually like Joker on MVP. If you thought that was good enough for a quasi-small market team, not ex- I know it's not a small market, but you know how we consider Denver. Like That's just not the case. That from Calvin on down, the message is, and I thought this was kind of cool because I didn't really know this, was like that organization, after signing Joker to that Supermax extension last summer, has a real sense of responsibility with him that they believe they should win a championship and they would love to win it this year. And they're going to try again if they don't next year. And who knows, you know, they're not sitting here saying not one, not two. It's not the Miami days with the Heatles, but like that was a revelation for me. They're like, no, they're, they absolutely are trying to win the whole damn thing. So then from there you, you start unpacking like, all right, what do we think about this team? And I don't know what direction you want to go with it, Mike, but like, you know, the Jamal Murray subplot, um, you know, Michael Porter Jr., how he's playing, Aaron Gordon having a good year. So they're a good team and, and obviously trying to get better and, and win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I just want to picture Nikola Jokic on stage uh, with bright lights behind him and his supporting <laughs> stars next to him saying, not one, not two, not three. That's really what I want to envision here. I think his brothers would have to be on stage. That, right? You're exactly right. right. Yeah. I yeah. think I think Joker's brothers uh, should serve as the starting three and the starting four, and you can get Jamal and MPJ in there too. <laughs> like, why they're not? Why have that hasn't been a promotional item? Oh man, that they are missing it. Um, you mentioned the the belief, the intrinsic belief that that there is an obligation to get Joker a championship with how good he is. Um, you know. I, I, my assumption is that that belief that you derived or you deduced is probably in conversations with Calvin Booth. Um, he is a guy who you covered in Sacramento, and, and you know I know that you have a relationship with. What is your impression of Calvin? He is only X amount of months into the job shepherding the Nuggets, and it's pretty rare that a guy, fall, his first GM job running a team is with a championship contender. That's not an easy position to be in. Um, you know, you've had a chance to level with Calvin. What, do, what, do you, what, what is your impression of Calvin Booth as a GM and as a person? It's funny, briefly, because you hit on it. Um, we did cross paths in my Sacramento Kings beat writing days for the Sacramento Bee, although I just looked at it, Mike and Matt, on basketballreference.com. And and I'm at least glad that I told you offline, Mike, that like I didn't have a ton of recollection yeah. about really connecting with Calvin. And that might have been because it was the final seven games of his NBA career were spent <laughs> in Sacramento. It's weird uh, that he didn't want to spend his final seven uh, seven games in the NBA talking to you, Sam. It's super weird. <laughs> yeah, it was 2008, 2009. It was my second to last year on the beat. So. You know, in, in essence, we kind of, you know, we left that life together. Uh, but yeah, Calvin, um, I'm impressed by Calvin. Uh, he's got like a real, real quiet confidence that uh, I think 
is interesting. And it's weird to say about a big guy because you just assume, you know, I'm talking physically and, and disposition and whatnot. Like you assume that big guys, you know, they're going to always have a little bit of shack to them, right? Like a little swag, a little like I'm just, you know, confident because I'm bigger than most humans. And he's understated, but also, you know, don't let that deceive you. Um, he's, he's got very clear thoughts and a very clear vision, I think, about what he wants this team to accomplish how he sees, you know, the roster, how he sees the coaching staff, how he sees all of it. And I think it sounds obvious, but it, being intentional, being deliberate is a pretty important part of uh, being a GM. And the, the, what you don't want is, you know, um, this is a random Hamilton reference, I guess, but you don't want Aaron Burr who like doesn't stand for anything. We're here for and it. Just, and kind of just, you know, just goes wherever the wind takes him and is political. That's not what I want in an executive leading my team. And I don't think it's what the Nuggets have in, in Calvin. He is, I think you, a quiet confidence is, is exactly what it is. He is not a, a, a front facing guy. He is not, um, you know, doing a bunch of, TV hits and all this stuff. He doesn't care about that stuff. He is such, from everybody who I've talked to around Calvin, he is such a good talent evaluator. And what that is rooted in is in his work ethic. He, he This dude is a scout at heart. He goes, he, he loves having um, strong opinions uh, about prospects, about players. And my favorite thing, the thing that sticks with me the most about Calvin, uh, to your point, is his conviction. This dude does not waffle. When he may, and you have, this is a decision-based business. When you have to make a decision on a player, yes or no, he has his conviction and he has comps and he has historical data. He, this, this dude works so hard that I don't think people realize. So, um, you know, I know that there was a lot of angst uh, when Tim Connolly left Denver to go to Minnesota um, just because Tim was such a known commodity and everybody knew how outspoken and gregarious and, and, and how excellent at drafting he was. I mean, when you find Joker in the draft, you get a lot of runway and a lot of leeway to do a lot of things. Um, this by no means was the cupboard bear. Like maybe Josh Kroenke knew what he was doing and knew what he had in Calvin and how smart this dude is. Um, but that's that. That's who I think Calvin is. I think he is a, a sil- I mean, you said quiet confidence. I think he's a silent killer. Yeah, no, I think we see it the same way, um, you know, and, and they've got a, a good group, um, you know, as well. They were deep underneath Tim Conley when he left. And I think, you know, from Josh Kroenke on down and, and Tommy Balsettis and, and that entire group, uh, they do good work. And they are, I think, a lot of scouts at heart. And I think they have good cap management with Ben Tenzer as well. Um, so I like their group, you know, and I think that, again, to take it back to the original point, it was kind of refreshing to hear that they're kind of, I mean, they're not going for broke in the sense that, you know, the Warriors out here paying $400 million plus for the payroll, like most teams in the NBA have limitations and, you know, they will have certain realities they have to face. But um, you, you would like to think that especially the ones that have special players like Joker, that, you know, that that particular player is not wasting his time with that franchise because they're not serious. And, and I think the Nuggets are serious. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the obligation with Joker and what that entails. Um, 
you know, I don't know what you're hearing about the Nuggets. You know, I, I do know that you reported that they, they wanted some uh, wing. You're hearing my dog. Okay, that's uh, the audio. This, this, leans into, <laughs> this leans into the grunge factor because we have a dog on our end, too. It's a heavy dog nice. podcast. It's, it, yeah. Yes. This is not a cat podcast. We don't rock with cats on here. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you mentioned the obligation and, and, and the responsibility that Calvin Booth feels. Uh, he has assembled a team that is 27 and 13, first in the West. Uh, I've heard your podcast. I've se- I've read your reporting. Um, it's it's a little bit common knowledge at this point that there are a ton of buyers uh, heading into the trade deadline, and maybe not as many sellers. Um, where and what do you think? Where do you think the Nuggets c- could add a and b? Um, you know, we've been asked a ton. Uh, publicly and privately, I have specifically about both Bones and Michael Porter Jr., two guys who have have drawn a um, you know fairly or unfairly they've been lightning rods for criticism, and uh, you know I don't know where Calvin stands on those guys. I don't know if he would ever entertain um, moving them. But what is your perception outside of the Nuggets uh, of of targets that they may have or targets or pieces that they may use to? entertain said trades and you know what is kind of the chatter on the nuggets that that you can share well i mean i'll start with bones he's an interesting player because talent wise he's he's got a bunch of it you know and offensively he's dynamic he's exciting and sometimes i think that uh fans and media even forget that entertainment matters and so and this is a random side story but you know you go back in the day again my king's days you know, I'll never forget when the Kings drafted Jimmer for dead. And it was like, you know, it's a tough pill for them to swallow now, but like Clay Thompson went number 11, Jimmer for dead went number 10 and Jimmer was entertainment factor. And it was a, you know, a small market team that was looking to sell tickets. And in terms of bones, you know, I know that's a weird comparison, but like, I don't think it is. I don't think it is a weird yeah. comparison. Yeah. I mean, he's exciting. Um, he's a fan favorite. Uh, there's a lot of upside to, to what he brings. Now, the part that I think people around the league are rightfully questioning his fit with the Nuggets right now in terms of where they're at as a franchise is that defensively, obviously, big-time struggles on that end, and that's the area for the Nuggets that especially Coach Michael Malone is harping on all the time. And the first unit, or the starters, rather, you know, like by and large, and you tell me you know the numbers better than me, but – that's the defense is less of an issue there than it is with the second unit. Um, and, and Bones being one of the guys that leads the second unit, I think that the kind of central question is, is that good enough for the Nuggets to do the kinds of things that we talked about before? And I, I wrote in my piece a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that my understanding is they're, they're going to be on the lookout for essentially, you know, wings, you know, length, defensive acumen capability. Um, and they have kind of this core, sense and understanding and belief that like the offense is going to be there because that's what history has told them during the, the, the Jokic era. You know, what's really funny. And I just realized this, this pull back the curtain moment, Sam and I text all the time. Um, two nights ago or three nights ago, they're playing Cleveland and I'm in the middle of writing my game story. Sam texts me. He goes, uh, uh, what was that interaction between Michael Malone and Bones Island? Did you see that? You, you remember yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, you know, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it in real time. I had my head down. I was writing, and I go back and I rewatch the game, and I, it is a fascinating interaction. And I ended up writing about it. What happens is Michael Malone turns his back on the court, 
uh, on the defensive possession. He goes and talks to Bones, puts both hands on his shoulders and levels with him, has an honest moment with him. Um, I asked Bones about it uh, two days ago, and I asked Michael Malone how invaluable it is to have that kind of two-way dialogue, and it's rare that you see a, a, the relationship tending so public. Um, there, it is, it's pretty obvious that there are some growing pains with Bones Highland. This dude is also a second-year player, an electric second-year player who, who does more than just the numbers. He can spark a crowd, energize a crowd, change the momentum of a game. Um, are there defensive lapses? Yes. Are, is, is shot selection still an issue? Yes. Um, but there is still a level of belief and trust that, that Michael, Malone, Michael Malone talked about he is worth investing in, and that's the reason why I, I pull him aside and I hold him accountable and I get on him. Um, he is worth investing in because I care about you. If I didn't care about you, then I would let you kind of you know flutter in the wind because you know then what value are to me are you to right. me? Um, and so to me, it was a fascinating you know window into. We've invested a ton into Bones as a second-year guy shepherding the the bench unit on a on a potential championship contender. So for for better or for worse, they need to rock with Bones um, until something else until something else gives. Um, uh, Matt is eagerly waiting to interject. All right. So I just one question, and and I don't know Sam if if you have an answer for this or not. Um, but Bones as as a trade target for other teams. Do you think there are other teams that see him as being a potential starter down the line, or is he somebody who's viewed as like a six man sort of super sub scorer off the bench? Is is this the role that he's sort of destined to play? Uh, tough to tell. I, I mean, I probably lean towards the former in terms of you know, do I think there's a, a team or two out there that sees him? In that fashion, uh, I think anytime you know a guy has shown a clear ability to score thirty plus on any given night, you know that'll get you into the starting lineup. If you want to analyze guards all over the league, there's you know there, there's a handful out there that, that haven't even been able to show that potential. So somebody, yes, um, you know, as much as <clears throat> excuse me, the casuals, if you will. Fan wise, want to pretend that there is no defense in the NBA, and I know we have this scoring boon that is just absolutely right. bonkers right now. So maybe they're right, but like, you know, defense does matter. The Milwaukee Bucks two years ago, you know, won a championship on the merits of their defense. The Warriors and their dynasty is, you know, been achieved largely on the merits of their defense. So defense matters, and and for that reason, the market for Bones is going to be, you know, I think somewhat limited. Um, but yeah, I think you could see, you know, a team that is rebuilding and that at least wants to, I mean, uh, like always, I don't know how much they'd be willing to give up for him, but if you had a chance to take a look at bones on his rookie contract, when he's only two years into that, you know, that four year deal, when you've got team control on the back end, you know, for those last two years, that's a really good runway and a pretty unique opportunity because normally, I mean, it's only a discussion because the Nuggets are contenders, right. you know, it, any other franchise, they're just going to be patient and wait it out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, I could see his market being okay. Uh, real quick. Uh, do you think the Lakers would be willing to give up a 2027 or 2029 first round pick? <laughs> <laughs> you don't need there to answer is. that. 
Let's say you waited how long into this phone call? Uh, 19 minutes. Man, I was sitting on that. Oh, I was sitting That's on hilarious. it. Oh, man. It's funny you say that. As you were talking, I was being rude and distracted because uh, we actually, shameless plug, we just started promoting my podcast where I addressed the whole situation with LeBron. And I and I, I sent our folks a note because one of the early promotions focused on his impatience and i was like all right we we learned our lesson i think the first time let's let's stop using impatience you know people can read the interview for yourselves and but yes that was uh that was quite a couple of days sam uh what's the uh, since we're facetiming what's the signal uh that you're gonna you're gonna show me uh when your patience is waning (laughs) wow Don't answer that either. I got, I got nothing, Mike. I got nothing. Oh man, uh, it's just, I, it's low hanging fruit, and I can't help but grab it. Um, I'm just trying to stay out the way of the, the Laker fan mob, man. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, um, uh, so you know, we we just hit on bones, um, Michael Porter, and, and I, he is kind of a, again a lightning rod, and and it has been a lightning rod of criticism ever since that that five year deal got signed, five year max deal. He's in the first year of it. To what degree can the Nuggets trust him? To what degree is his value um, diminished around the league because of that injury history? Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to assume that you have heard any any chatter about Porter, any any idea that the Nuggets would ever entertain moving him. So I, I would just ask you this instead: What is your perception of, of Michael Porter as a player? A and what do the Nuggets need from him if they're not going to trade him? What do they need from him? Um, you know, playing that third role, th- that third banana. Um, and, and is that a perfect role for him? Even as a as a max player, do you just say, you know what, we're getting value out of him, and if 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 our perception of him does not match what league wide perception of him is, then we're just going to ride with him anyways. Yeah, and you're so much closer to it than I am. And and again, we talked offline about this a little bit. Like I would. Probably not. Probably I'd certainly be leaning towards the latter. Um, I think he he's going to help the Nuggets more than than I think other teams are are going to be willing to invest in the idea that he would help them. Um, we have not seen this is if I'm a, a, a rival GM, if you will, we have not seen enough out of Michael Porter Jr. for me to even get remotely close to that contract. Um, the back stuff has been an issue for so long. Uh, you know, I remember in that draft, you know, the, the Kings, I keep going back to the Kings cause they're in my backyard, but like they talked about seriously talked about taking him with the fourth pick. Vladi Divac was the G- uh, GM back then, but then everybody got the medicals and they didn't look pretty. And so like, you know, at this point, the league at large, I think is rooting for Michael Porter jr. Wants him to be healthy, to be the guy who could be an all-star. He's that special, but 26 games, is not enough to say, oh, he's good. Let's talk about putting this in. Because you, you know. The third again, back surgery is the third back surgeries now. You can't say it's behind him. Right. And 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 you know also, like, the Nuggets, I don't know exactly what their asking price would be, but it's not like they're, they're certainly not trying to get off of him. No. You know, like, they would they would need to get better. And to get better, would I, I just don't see it. Um, so I don't see that happening. I think, you know, you've got the same themes – that have been there every year, you know, and, and Michael's kind of four or five year career, the one year he missed is the defensive stuff, you know, and he's seemingly really committed to it and, and improved year over year, uh, but never going to be considered a defensive stopper. Uh, but the effort is there. Um, 
you know, and, and it seems like, I mean, do you, have we gotten past the days of, of him kind of hunting for his? I feel like we kind of have. I feel like he plays within their system. It's a, it, man. No, no I actually, I, I actually. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, since you want to give me crap about LeBron, I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> I love it. I want you to put me on the spot. I think that we have. I mean, we, the last two years, when, when Porter was healthy, there would be this, this idea that he was hunting shots, that he would, he would have to get his, um, not necessarily in the flow of the offense and that um and and those those misses those those gaps in the offense they stood out they were loud misses especially when you're playing with joker who just does not care oh by the way uh, a triple double on five shots last night from mr Jokic. um but with with michael porter last night i, I just rewatched the lakers game last night um i'm watching him set screens for other guys set down screens to free up Jamal Murray that is a selfless play I'm watching him cut hard from the top of the three-point arc and 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 bolt towards the baseline what that does is that he's a six foot ten passing target you know that sucks in the defense and frees up somebody on the wing those are selfless plays that he that you know you can either attribute to his maturation somebody getting to him a coach getting to him say hey dude you are a giant and we can really use you in a lot of different facets and to say that he is just a in a in a vacuum just a scorer i think is unfair to him um not that you know this but he won uh the defensive player of the game chain uh which was his first this season wait wait a second are you about to I don't Knock know up his defense. Is that what we're? I mean, he won the defensive. I didn't award the defensive player of the game chain. Michael Malone did. So you can. You take... know what's funny? This is a this is a tangent, but that's all right. We're gonna go here. This whole subculture of of coaching strategies to elevate the defensive conversation. I was gonna. I up. think I was gonna ask you about this. I think I know where you're going with this. Well, for one, you know, Jordy Fernandez, who came from Michael Malone's Nuggets staff, I don't know if this is a correlation, but like all of a sudden, Mike Brown has a defensive player of the game chain. This is what I was going to ask. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the Nuggets, did Malone trademark this? Like, is there royalty? This is like the, the turnover other, chain in, in college football. It's the same thing. Yeah, I get it. The other dirty little secret, and Mike's talked, I guess it's not a secret because Mike Brown has talked publicly about this. Like, when he was with the Warriors, he he's got this super interesting system where he he basically collaborated with their analytics team with the Warriors and came up with defensive metrics to that he felt strongest about to indicate you know had a report card after every game and they have a system I forget all the details but over the course of a month he would analyze the entire team and then have like a defensive MVP for the month and so it gives guys a reason to want to win that award they get presented you know behind the scenes it's a big thing to have fun with it but dirty little secret is I remember Mike telling me that like in the course of setting that system up he had to go to Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala and tell them hey guys um are you okay with the reality that I'm never going to give it to you because no way. You're, because you are not the people that I'm trying to speak to. So, to bring it back to Michael Porter Jr., I feel like, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from what you're saying, but like if you're Michael Malone, like Michael Porter Jr. is the kind of guy you're speaking to. So, it's like, you know, you have the actually good defenders are virtually exempt from these types of things. Uh, and and then the rest of the group is, is just trying to get some brownie points from teacher. I, I, I love the theory and I think it holds a lot of water, but. <laughs> 
If that was the case, then why did Malone wait till halfway through the season to get Porter his first DPOG chain? Because <laughs> he missed a third of it, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, he did miss a lot of it with that heel. That's, that's fair. But you're right. It is an incentive. And um, I mean, we can go the other way. If you want to say Michael Porter Jr. is basically run our test on defense, <laughs> then, you know. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> but But the funny thing is, is like, you know, you know this as well as I do. He he came from Sacramento. Sacramento. Uh, Malone's kind of a hard ass. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to say that on the podcast, kind of. but kind of. Uh, Pure podcast. You should he, know the rules. He, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. So uh, he's not going to go to Aaron Gordon and KCP, his defensive workhorse, and say, hey, guys, you're not getting this chain. Uh, if they're the best defensive player, they're getting some shine. So um you know, I don't fair, think that I don't fair, think fair. that he could just bypass it. And like, look, sometimes he needs to give Joker a carrot. Sometimes he when when Jamal Murray plays the first time uh, on the second night of a back to back in you know a year and a half, he gives him the DPOG chain. So um, I think uh, I think uh, JB Bickerstaff in um, in Cleveland has a has a dog chain, something like that. I think a defensive dog chain or something. <laughs> I think we should. It should be Depog. I like how Depog sounds. Okay, it's, we can do know, Depog. I'm down with yeah, that. Depog. Um, By the way, I know I just texted you. We got right AirPod dead. Left left engine probably flaming out. So I don't know if I need to go to speakerphone here at the moment. We're, we're having technical difficulties. This lean, This is why this is a blue collar pod. Um, <laughs> this is why we, by any means necessary. Um, look, we hit a, a ton of topics, but. Um, I didn't ask you big picture. Oh, okay. Matt is signaling. Well, uh, there's, there's two. Patience is waning. I think, Just kidding. I think Mike was going to get to one of them, but uh, the one that I definitely want to ask, uh, just because Mike Singer is the Pied Piper of the Aaron Gordon All-Star campaign. You, oh, you, you said Aaron Gordon, quote unquote, good year. That does not sound like an All-Star year. So what do you think about the idea that Aaron Gordon, potential Western Conference All-Star? That's also unfair um, because I've gone down a rabbit hole and studied, you know, true. AG, but we could definitely put Sam on blast. <laughs> oh, it's unfair because you're so much more qualified. Than <laughs> I'm just saying I've looked at it. I've looked yeah. at it as I'm searching for story ideas, and this is not something on your radar as of yet, <laughs> but go on. Was this every every research come courtesy of Nick O'Hare and Nuggets PR? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever he sends me, I propagate. I so absolutely, yes. Um, see, I'm trying to score you points internally. You're um, all good. I'm going to keep my thoughts flowing here as I now shift to a new set of headphones. Um, I always my stock answer is this: like the, and I'm actually going to do my own All Star analysis pretty soon here. But my stock answer is we always forget to play the musical chairs game when it comes to the, the question of, you know, should this guy or that guy be an all-star? Because people, I think, by and large, forget how limited the number of slots is. Um, and so that's my first thing is like, and Mike, you you dive down that rabbit hole. So I do wonder what you found. How, how does the numbers game look? I mean, the idea of the Nuggets having two, is not inconceivable, especially if they are on top of the West. Jamal Murray not being one seems like a safe bet. Um, And so I'm okay with that. I mean, (laughs) the coaches are going to have to make the call. I I, I don't personally see it. I think profile-wise, he's just not there. 
Um, and that's not necessarily what it's supposed to be about, but I think that matters. But if you combine, you know, the scoring, some of the playmaking that's gotten better, the defensive impact and the, the versatility, I get it. But man, they're, I mean, even again, I'm going to just stay on brand and keep going back to my neck of the woods. Like the Kings all of a sudden are, are worried that they're not even going to get one all-star, even though Sabonis and Fox are both playing at an all-star I believe, level. So. I believe Sabonis made Mike Singer's all-star team. Okay. Yeah, oh, and, you have your whole team. I want to hear this. As, as an go. NBA head coach, I have voted on the reserves. Um, nice. No, but the funny thing is, and I didn't, I didn't really think about this until you know you kind of just mentioned it. But Sacramento's, you obviously live in Sacramento. Cool. Uh, De'Aaron <laughs> Fox and and Demontis Sabonis are two guys. Like they maybe have the best argument or among the best arguments to have two guys. Um, and so when when Aaron Gordon is trying to become you know a first time all star and be the Nuggets second all star, he is going to be competing with DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. The, this is the argument. If we assume that Joker, Zion, and LeBron James are gonna be the starting front court in the West. And then the reserves are, which again is voted on by the coaches, are going to come down to um, Paul George, uh, Sabonis, and Salt Lake City Zone uh, Lowry Markinen. Um, then there's there's going to be at minimum maybe maybe one more spot or maybe two spots of those wild card spots um, that could fall to Gordon. Does that include Jeremy Grant? Does that include um, DeAndre Ayton? Uh, you know. Or do the, do the coaches decide we need a, a, a hell of a lot of, of guards in here? We're going to get De'Aaron Fox. We're going to get Dame Lillard. We're going to get Shea. We're going to get Luca. We're going to get Steph. Um, and we're going to get Ja. Because right there, there's six guards. So um, he is. I, I, and the one thing I, Sam, I just wanted to hone in on with, with AG, I realize. Mike, his, can I interrupt super quickly? Please. Can you give me 30 seconds to switch technology? I apologize. No, I'm go for it. Editing. Go for it. Because I got, I can't hear you in a minute. All go right, for it. I'm calling you back on my laptop. Okay. Sam, the the thing that I wanted to just hone in on, like on Aaron Gordon's All Star case, the numbers don't necessarily pop. It is, you know, they're they are relatively, you know, they're good numbers specifically for him, but they don't jump off the page. He's, I think he's averaging 17 a game, like nothing, nothing crazy. The it's the efficiency. It's the efficiency that is pretty jarring. Um, I think was shooting as of last week, 68% on twos. I think it was down to 64% earlier this week. Like those are, those numbers are analogous to, um, centers to the best centers in the NBA. That's what he's connecting on and converting on his two pointers. So it's the efficiency, it's the defensive acumen, it's the versatility. I think he's second in the NBA in dunks. So you really do have to get a little bit into the weeds, which is why I was like trumpeting the research that I did, um, because that's how you how an NBA coach would have to justify his case. And I think he has a good argument. I just don't think, to your point, I don't think it's rock solid. Uh, and he needs to keep up the play um, for the next, uh, let's say, two weeks, three weeks before the voting uh, gets tallied. Who do you, as you broke your list down, like who was the biggest, if you give Aaron a spot, who was the biggest snub as a result of that? Uh, it depends how we feel about Jeremy Grant. Um, Jeremy Grant uh, is having a really good year for Portland. But, um, Interesting. but Portland... Crazy snub to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not, you know... I'm not an NBA head coach. I don't know very much, but um, you Who know, your, give me your reserves again. 
because I was not processing. The, the, the forwards are going to be, in my opinion, Lowry is going to get in because Salt Lake. Um, I think Paul George, and you can make an argument for Paul George that he hasn't played enough, so there might be another forward spot. Um, and Sabonis, I think, gets in. And then the, the last tricky part, which is a little bit nebulous, is when does Zion get back? And if Zion doesn't get back and is not voted a starter by the fans, media, and players, that opens up another starting spot for maybe Lowry, oh, yeah. maybe Lowry gets a start uh, in, in you know his hometown. Yeah, I mean, I'm going off of your research, but none of that strikes me as as crazy. Um, so you know, we'll see. As far as Aaron, I mean, listen, it's it's a he's had a very good year. Um, I don't typically, you know, you said all right, his numbers don't pop, but the efficiency. I mean, that's just not normally how guys become all stars. You know what I mean? Like usually, it's no the the numbers pop. That's all there is to it. Valid. So, you know, we'll see. I think being tops in the West, though, is going to potentially be an X factor. If they have the number one spot in the West, then coaches are, you know how they are. They're very collective. They're very old school. Like, you have to honor what that team has done. Like, let's say they create a two- or three-game gap on the Grizzlies or the Pelicans. Then, yeah, I think maybe Aaron gets in if that's the case. But I think that would need to happen. My uh, my shoulders are getting tired from uh, carrying water. Um, uh, you, you just mentioned, um, where the nuggets, uh, where they kind of, what, what the outline of the West looks like and what that landscape looks like. Um, where do you see them? I mean, do you, do you buy them? They are atop the West right now. Where do you see them fitting in alongside the, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies who are also kind of upstarts this year and have been really good. And, 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 you know, there's certainly a question, is that sustainable? Um, and you know, do you buy what the Nuggets are doing? Uh, you, I know you wrote this. If the defense marginally improves, they're very real. Um, you know that was two weeks ago. A lot of things changed in two weeks. I mean, I buy them as contenders. Um, you know, am I handicapping them to win the whole thing right now? No. Uh, you know, I'm trying to cheat and look at some of the numbers. You know, they're seventh in net rating. At the moment, um, you know, we, we said earlier their belief is the offense is always going to be there. That has held true this season. They're second in offensive rating. And even though at times that defense has gotten better, the defense is 23rd at the moment in defensive sure. rating. And, I mean, that's just not – I mean, you know the deal. Championship-wise, you know, for the most part, you see top 10 offense and top 10 defense. That's kind of what we've been trained to believe. So – um, they look to me right now like a team that if they didn't get in the second round, that would be uh, unexpected and a, and a problem. Uh, could certainly see them being in the conference finals. And then from there, it's like it's just a blank slate as far as like I, I need to know about how the evolution transpired. And specifically, we haven't really talked about it much, but I think internally the Nuggets, it's a little bit like the Warriors last season with Clay Thompson – they are patiently, you know, they, they want to see baby steps from Jamal Murray. And, you know, they still have a, a very high level of belief in Jamal, that he is a special player that should go down as, you know, one of the best players of his era and that he still has a lot of really, really good basketball left in him. He's obviously still a young guy. So that's like a massive unknown is how much, uh, you know, Jamal can, can we have on that elite level down the stretch in the second half of the season and then most importantly in the playoffs yeah uh and you mentioned it i mean 
Jamal had a season high of 34 points last night. Uh, granted, it took him 29 shots to get there, but when a dude takes 29 shots, has 34 points, like there is no questioning his confidence. The confidence is there. The confidence never really went anywhere. So, um, you know, and I wrote this, but the the second best offense in the NBA right now, I actually think they're tied for first with Boston. They're only getting healthier. They're only getting more comfortable with each other. Uh, you had a lot of new pieces in KCP and Bruce Brown, offseason additions who are having career years. Um, the offense is scary. Malone, Malone will say this all the time. He goes, I don't think about the offense. The only thing I worry about on offense is the turnovers. If, if you were to break down his brain capacity, it's probably 95% defense and 5% offense. That's how good and special Joker is. Um, right. But just as a quick aside, I know that we've, we've bagged on the defense, and I know that that is the biggest question mark. Last 15 games, Nuggets are 12-3 and three and have the seventh best defense in the entire NBA. And so, um, look... I will cherry pick uh, when it is convenient. And uh, the last 15 games, they've been real. So they can finally, like, they've shown the capacity to play defense. Um, And, you know, if this translates, if this is sustainable, um, I think that they're contenders. I know you said you're you're quasi-buying them um, with some caveats. But defensively, can we lightly say they're starting to show some signs? Do you think... do you you think, need a water spell, you know, water sponsorship for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, hell yeah, I do. So, Sam, we'll take any Aquafina sponsorship. Quick, quick question. Oh, just, quick question. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the top ten defense, top ten offense. I, you hear that all the time when people are talking about contenders. Um, let's say the Nuggets get to like top fifteen, top fourteen. You think that's enough with their offense if they have like basically? just around average defense with that offense? Uh, in a vacuum, I guess like league-wide, I would say yes. But my mind also goes to the you know the offense in the playoffs um, is, is also kind of like to be determined. Right. You know, the Warriors, I think, if you, if you gave them some truth serum, like they're not afraid of that offense in the playoffs, I don't think. Um, and so I think some of that stuff is like, you know, that trying to unpack the question of, you know, how much of this is sustainable, uh, or defensively in the, in the playoffs, you know, schematically are there things that, you know, the Warriors and other teams have done and, and learned that can take that superpower away from them a bit. So, but by and large, like, yeah, I like, I do like that framing of it. If you're talking like, league leading offense and top half defense, you know, then I give them a chance. And really, you know, I mean, if you, if you told any of these teams, they had a 30% chance of winning the whole thing, they would be ecstatic. 30. <laughs> are we, are we assigning 30? <laughs> no, not to the nuggets, but I, I'm saying like if, if, with those numbers, if you get it, like you, you, you give them 12, you know, you take 12. Like, yeah. That's pretty good. If you look at it like lottery odds too, everybody's going, you know, Going, you know, Wembenyana chasing because, you know, they're going to get much lower percentages than that. Um, So, yeah, that would be good. And that's the important part. And then it becomes, I would love to see it because Joker, and I wrote this in the playoffs last year, like it was a weird thing in the playoffs last year because individually you break down his numbers. He did his job. He was very good. But like collectively did not find a way to lead that team, 
you know, in the kind of way that you thought and expected and a back-to-back MVP would. But then, you know, over time you look back on it, you're like, yeah, but damn, like he, he was good, you know, and, and, but this coming playoffs is going to be another thing where he meets the challenge every time almost. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see if, if he could uh, get it over the hump. I promise, Sam, we're not going to hold you for much longer. We've already gone over the allotted promise time, but I'll reciprocate uh, in the event you guys want me to come on the athletic podcast. Of course. Yeah. One of these days for um, sure. Uh, Matt has, I think, one more, one or two more things, and I had just one more question for you. Uh, we'll get to Joker, but uh, hit it, Matt. So, I mentioned in the defense and, and trade deadline and, and uh, what the Nuggets need to improve on, if they're going to improve defensively by adding another piece, you mentioned adding another wing, and I look at their roster and I think, well, they have a fair amount of decent wing defenders. So how do they improve defensively? What do they add? Is it a shot blocker? Is it, uh, is it another wing defender? Do I have that wrong? Like, how do you see it? He, he's also asking you, where do you stand on the DeAndre Jordan question? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they, you know, I guess to start with DJ, you know, they, they kind of feel like, you know, he's been not as bad as the fans might feel like he has been. Um, not as good as they may may have been hoping that he was somewhere in between, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we know that culturally he's been a good fit. You know, in term and that stuff does matter. Um, I'm trying to think of a good comp to give you, Matt, or a name. You know, for the type of guy that they'd go after, and this is not one I've heard, but like, you know, like a peak Robert Covington type. You know, I think is the type of thing that would make Malone feel a little warmer and fuzzier about his second unit defense. Um, and, and I think without being able to fill in that blank spot of who the, the person is, I do get the sense that it's that general call like mild concern over the fact that like the second unit is led by an offense first, you know, defensively problematic player, uh, and, and, and again, because they have this confidence where it's like, we don't like, we're good on offense. Um, and, and, you know, and I know the defensive metrics with, I know it sounds like I'm picking on bones, but it's just kind of the sense I get. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, you know, and, and I don't also think, you know, I think it, it's cliche, but it's going to be one of those around the edges trade seasons for the Nuggets. They obviously believe in their group and are not looking to, I mean, you know, Mike, you brought up the Porter Jr. stuff, and even that surprised me a little bit uh, because I think they feel pretty good about their core. Yeah, um, we we poke and prod and, uh, and, and stir things up on this podcast. <laughs> um, the, the, the last question I had for you um, is, you know, we talked about low-hanging fruit. Or low-hanging fruit. Um, you know, there is this idea that about voter fatigue and the idea that, Joker does not deserve to be in the same category as Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Bill Russell, or Larry Bird um, because he doesn't quote-unquote look the part or whatever the heck people want to justify it as. Um, Malone said the, the idea the other day that if you don't, if you're not considering Nikola Jokic for a three-time MVP, um, he's not going to tell you to vote for him, but it's lazy if you don't. Um it's lazy if you don't consider him, uh, you know, for, from all the ways that he impacts winning from the, all the ways that guys have career years, um, when they come and play with the nuggets, 
Um, where do you stand on it? And should the prior two years have any bearing um, on what Joker is doing now? Or, or are you are you comfortable with putting him in, in the historical context of, of those three aforementioned guys? Um, How's that I, for a loaded question? <laughs> I know. I don't know the answer to that. I, when he, when he, listen, I, I don't, I've never minded acknowledging real stuff that, that technically speaking is not supposed to be part of the voting process, which is, you know, voter fatigue being one, but we are human. And then the playoff performance correlation, which is not supposed to be part of it. It's a regular season award. And I get that, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't admit that there are times like it's, it's been an interesting couple of years because when I voted for Giannis back to back years, I found myself when he fell short in the bubble being like disappointed in my vote because you, you, in a perfect world, you would like those superheroes, if you will, basketball superheroes to, you know, to, to win at the end of the movie. Are are you admitting to be human, Sam, to, to, to audit your, (laughs) What an admission. Yes. yes. And like there, you know, with Jokic, there was some of that after last season where I think he has an actual chance to win a third one is that he has flipped the script. If they lead the West, um, then he is accomplishing the very thing that his critics of the past two year MVP votes, you know, highlighted in those two years, which is giving it to a guy whose team was not elite even though he was like, even though it's the same player, you would now be voting for the type of player that you've been arguing for the past two years should get the award. If that makes sense, hopefully it does like the collective team success angle being on his side combined with what he's doing hundred percent makes him a shortlist MVP candidate. You know, historically am I comfortable putting him in that group that you're talking about? I think I am, and I don't know who. Obviously, who I'm going to vote. Of course for. not. Long, That's not what I'm asking you. No, it's a it's a pretty long list at this point, um, and and things are fluid. But like, I think about Larry Bird. I mean, listen, I put Jokic on. You know, I had a vote for the NBA's um, top seventy-five, and I voted for Jokic, even though it felt like that was that was almost preemptive. And my feeling was I'm pretty confident in where this dude's career is going. And it's actually analogous to this happened when Shaq made the top 50 NBA list. There was some blowback at the time that people had put him on the list that he was too young. Uh, but over the, but, but that held up pretty well. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so point being, as it relates to Larry Bird, if Jokic continues on this arc, his career will be every bit as, celebrated and special as Larry Bird's now championships got to come. You know what I mean? Like I don't, that's, I had to cut myself off there. The hot take is you got to win some titles, but um, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I do not have, I think what you're asking is, do I have some kind of, you know, subconscious, like barrier to entry? No way. Uh, I don't, maybe some people do. They could, I don't. I mean, I just, you know, we, we talk a million times. Uh, I, I know that you had no inhibitions about voting for him last year. Um, people can poke holes in whatever argument you want, but uh, dudes leading the league in triple doubles. They're first in, in the West. Uh, their home record 17 and three. And uh, 
I mean, half the team is shooting above 40%, and, and guys come to Denver to have career years, and oh, by the way, he's about half assist away from averaging a triple-double. Um, and I think what maybe frustrates certain people is that he doesn't lean into it. He doesn't celebrate himself and promote himself like other stars do, um, which is, I'm not, it's neither here nor there. I'm not passing judgment on him, but it definitely, like, Imagine if you're Adam Silver and you're looking at that like I want my MVP to lean into how to, to lean into how good he is to 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 talk about himself to promote himself to market the league because ultimately you need to grow the business and uh, Sam Joker doesn't care about that Joker cares about his horses he cares about I don't his family. Know what you're talking about, Mike? Like <laughs> you should you should be better at your job. Joker is constantly asking me if I will do one on one. It's it's a yeah I suck. That's that's what we've learned. Um, you know, it's real quick. Hit I me. Like, I know we you know it's been a good conversation. Yeah. Like you said, no worries, we're going a little long. But like, has anybody really like had? I feel like the Jokic Larry Bird discussion is kind of a fascinating one. Like, they're obviously very different players, but the you know for one, I just looked it up. All right, two inch difference. Joker's six eleven. Larry was six nine. Larry ends up with three titles um, in, a, in a pretty celebrated era, you know, and, and several more finals appearances. But the the passing, um, the creative shooting, the non-athletic build, you know what I mean? Like, like there's some interesting parallels between those two guys that I'd never thought about before. Oh, it's it's there. It's, uh, I think it's been explored a little bit too by Mr. Singer. I mean, I I don't know I don't know what you're referring to, Matt. I've I've you know, there's definitely look. If Joker is on the precipice of getting a three-time MVP, uh, I guess I'll just blow it up now. I will do my damnedest to get to Larry Bird and uh, and ask him about these comparisons. Um, you know, Bill Simmons has said, uh, I think he conceded a week or two ago that Joker is a better offensive player than Larry Bird, which is a um, a significant concession, uh, I think, for 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 yeah, Bill I mean, to that make. That guy hates the Celtics. We all know that, right? Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I do think we need to look at Joker in, in a special light. Um, I mean, Malone said the other day uh, he just picked apart Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley in the number one defense in the NBA. And he said, people look at me like I'm crazy when I compare him to LeBron. Obviously, there are differences, but Joker has a, a, a special a gift of processing the game that very few people do, which is on the Larry level, which is on the LeBron level. Um, whether people disagree or not, that's my opinion. I, I'm, I'm in no position to tell people how to, how to view well, it. Well, and I think, well, here's what, where, if I was a Nuggets fan, what I'd be happy about. I think the conversation has officially evolved surrounding Nicola as it relates to the skepticism. Like you mentioned earlier, like, the physique or the, you know, it doesn't look the part, whatever. I actually think that part's kind of gone away. You know, when you see this viral video clip of DeAndre Ayton yep. talking about how, man, that big fella runs, oh my God, like I cannot, like people have learned and it's, you know, it's a little bit of that Greg Popovich pound the rock mentality. Like Joker pounded the rock when it comes to the perception of his game. He just kept competing. And now you look up and you're X amount of years in and people have just had to finally respect him. Right. And I think we're there. And it happened, to be honest, a similar thing happened with Giannis. Like Giannis, you'd have even guys within the league who would say things in the media like, well, if I was that long, if I was that athletic, like all this kind of hating, it happened with 
I mean, it, it's funny because it, it still happens with Rudy Gobert, but you could argue like this year deserved. He's not playing well. And right. so it doesn't evolve for everybody. You have to dominate. You have to compete. You know, Luca, when he first came out, there was a little bit of that. And, and, and you know, there is a little bit of that international thing, too, I think, like too much skepticism. So I think Joker's gotten through that. People know how great he is. They know how, you know, you can't he, he's not some slob out there who can't compete with no stamina. The guy plays big minutes, plays all, I mean, he plays old school. Like he gets on the floor, like a guy from the eighties and the nineties who wants to play every night. He's not doing load management. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess to bring it back to MVP, even beyond the Larry Bird thing, like when people go to vote, I think they're going to, you know, they're just going to vote on, on what he did this year and, and whether or not he deserves it. Yeah. Um, I think that it is a, uh, concise, fair summary of, of, how people again it's we're in no position to tell people how to vote but just due process will show that joker has passed the the point of entry where you just need to consider him and i think that anybody who has any skin in the game only wants voters to consider uh to at least just you know do the research see if he's if it's valid and then try to justify it for yourself vote whichever way you want to but like to, to hold it against him two years in a row and put him in that light, I think is, is kind of garbage. Um, especially when he's, when he's surpassed, like, I do think that there's a, you do need to be better than you were the past two years. And Oh, by the way, uh, individually and from a team concept, he has. And if that doesn't get you in the conversation, then I'm not really sure what, what does. Well, not only that, but my, my kind of quick last thought on that front, as I pull up the numbers here is that, if you ask me as a voter, like what jumps out at you about this particular season, it's like, wait a minute. So they got Jamal and Michael back and he's still, so he's a, you know, his scoring's gone down two points basically from last year, uh, 1.4 points from his first MVP season. But all right, you're still 25 points, almost 11 boards, almost 10 assists. So the assists, obviously with more talent on the floor, more guys available, the assist goes up and you're damn near averaging a triple-double. Um, but even from a scoring standpoint, like, wait a minute. you So you can take two and a half fewer shots per game, have an uptick in efficiency to where the scoring barely falls off. Because the, the narrative the last couple of years was people saying, yeah, the numbers are bonkers, but he has to do everything because his guys weren't available. Right. And now here they are available, and he's still – you know, making it clear on a nightly basis, you know, who the best player on the floor is. Yeah. Um, Matt, any final thoughts or are we, uh, are we good here? I, I, I did. It seemed like you both were, were suggesting that you don't think it will be a factor that he's going for a third straight. Cause I, to me, I think that is going to end up going into voters minds and that there are going to be voters that are, somehow swayed by that you guys disagree with I, I think we were talking individually um I, i'm not going to speak for the 100 voters i think there are definitely people who are going to say uh-uh he, he he's not with those right. other dudes uh, how I, did the uh how did the espn uh straw poll turn out he was fifth i know that was a while ago he was fifth yeah so uh, i think luca won it right? uh i forget was I it luca it, or i believe yeah. it was luca yes. okay I think that there's going to be. I, I think that there will be an impediment, um, but right. I. It's not. Well, my not to sound like that guy. There is. There, I mean, there's a, a lot of media folks on the East Coast that. I mean, Denver. 
Denver is at a disadvantage because, you know, this is a whole different podcast, but you, you talk about their TV deal situation. Uh, now, I know we have league pass, but, like, um, they're, you know, it's just they're not getting as – I don't know how many national games they had this year. So, from a spotlight standpoint, you know, when it comes to the Giannis's and the Embiid's and, and players like that, um, you know, he's not front and center as often. You can uh, catch the Denver Nuggets tomorrow night on ESPN against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, You can stay up late, late night with Joker, uh, late night with Sam on the West Coast. Um, Sam, I can't uh, thank you enough. Uh, It was awesome. Uh, I love all the insight and, you know, uh, I just, I love hearing it. I'm so close to it that I appreciate when someone can look at it from a different perspective. Um, and you know, you always say to me, Mike, you're always so close. Like, you know, some of this stuff better than I do, but, but when you speak from a different perspective, that carries a lot of weight. And, and that's why I, you know, really appreciate hearing your perspective as well. Um, I can't wait to, uh, to touch base soon again, would love to jump on with you guys. Um, and uh, thank you again uh, for, for sharing all the insight, uh, pulling back the curtain on all the stuff you've had going on this week. Um, and uh, again, great talking to you. Appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, man. Just had a nice, long conversation with uh, Sam Amick from The Athletic. Uh, great stuff from him. Uh, had a lot of interesting things to say about the Nuggets. Uh, just one thing that, that stuck out to me, and I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit more on it, Mike, uh, before we sign off and, and go our separate ways. Uh, he Noting MPJ, uh, a guy we've talked about as possible trade uh, target for other teams, uh, he said, and just to paraphrase here, uh, that he's worth more to the Nuggets than what they could get in return in a trade. Uh, what, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, I don't think Sam's off. I think it's a, a really poignant point. Um, the idea that he's in the first year of his max contract, and um, I think that Michael Porter is a really, really good third option in Denver. I do not think that he would be a good number one or number two um, elsewhere. Uh, and for that reason, that disconnect, uh, in addition to the injury history, what team is willing to incur the amount of risk that it would take to trade for a guy who's had three back surgeries. I think Sam is dead on. He means a lot to them. They have invested in him. They know more about him than anybody. Um, They have seen the growth on the defensive end. They have seen the engagement on the defensive end. They have seen how he's learned to play off of Jokic. And, oh, by the way, he's starting to get pretty good at it. So um, all of those factors combined, uh, I think they would have a hard time trading Porter. Um, and, And, you know, He's, he's not a bad third banana. Is that okay to say? Yeah, no, he's definitely a good third banana. Um, and it's I think the only thing that you would think is like basically what is that salary going to mean when all these big salaries start adding up on the cap sheet and you have to start squeezing in people and you're seeing people like Bruce Brown be unable to be retained because of the large contracts that you have on him. Yeah, I mean, look. That, that was maybe Tim Connolly's parting gift to to, uh, to the Nuggets, um, you know, signing Porter to that max deal. Um, we've talked about it before. I don't know how Calvin feels about it, but he it's it's kind of, you know, this is the hand you're dealt and, and you live with it. And um, for the most part, you know, I, I realize he was hurt for with the heel issue for, for, I think, 14 games so far. But he's been good. He's been productive. He has been uh, – he, he's been rebounding. He's been – shooting it well um and i just mentioned the defense 
I don't think you can complain with what you've gotten from Porter um, thus far. And, and, and granted, I say that like tepidly. I'm like, okay, sustain this. Keep up this level. Uh, play, play within yourself and play off of these guys, and this team is devastating. Uh, there's a reason they lead the NBA in three-point shooting. Uh, and, and it's not just Porter anymore. It's KCP, it's Bruce Brown, it's Jamal hitting 36%, like, and Bones hitting over 40. Like This team is so deep offensively. Um, and Porter is 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 kind of a, um, a microcosm of where they are defensively. Not a great defensive team, but we're getting better. All right, so Nuggets have uh, the Suns tomorrow night. Uh, Landry Shamet returning to the scene of his... Demise, demise. <laughs> Who, who's Aaron Gordon going to dunk on tomorrow night? It's uh, it should be a lot of fun uh, at Clippers on I believe Friday night. Correct. On Friday, the the Nuggets have won thirteen of sixteen. They've won eleven in a row at home. They are seventeen and three at home, tied for the best record in the NBA at home with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, if you're not on board uh, now, what are you waiting for? As far as I know, the Broncos are not going to the playoffs. They are not. Thank you. They're, they're hiring another coach for the second. Oh, that's where we're at. Oh, okay. Um, cannot wait to see uh, Nuggets coverage on the front page of the Sunday sports section. Moving forward, <laughs> we got a lot to look forward to, Nuggets fans. All right. With that, uh, we're going to bid you all adieu. Um, as always, go to iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Five stars. Uh, you want the, five stars, Matt? I Five stars, and then just you know, tell the truth after that. We you lie with your star rating, tell the truth with your review. That's all that we're asking. Matt is not a seventy-five-year-old man. It's true for our for our loyal listeners, middle-aged actually, <laughs> but, but not but but not in my seventies. Uh, Mike Singer, as always, a pleasure. Uh, and thanks again to Sam Amick, who probably is not listening to this part at all. Nor is he going to listen. <laughs> but thanks to him for coming on, and, and we'll be back again uh, probably next week. Turn around. You're living in the shadow of someone.